Welcome, my name is Peter Preston and you're listening to the Dear Video Podcast, where I share resources and behind the scenes looks at building better connections with customers, clients, and even colleagues with the top video marketers who are doing this stuff every day. Today, I'm joined by Adam Harder. Adam is the video marketing manager at DigitalOcean, but that's not the whole of it. Adam's career started in the Air Force, has taken him all over the world, and has given him experience on just about every aspect of video production and marketing. He's got a great story to tell. Let's hear from him. I feel like we we have to start with your background before we dive in, because I've yet to speak to someone with quite the experiences that you have. Can you give me like a one minute version of your education and your career to this point, going back to starting with university, let's say? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I have a kind of a, how would you say this, uh, kind of random upbringing as far as video and marketing and everything is concerned, really. Like a lot of people in the video industry, I wanted to grow up to be a broadcast journalist, mm-hmm. right? Because I saw news reporters on TV and the movie Anchorman, and I thought that that's what it was to be in the video industry, <laughs> only to <laughs> realize that once I got to college, that was truly not the case. But yeah, I did go to college for broadcast journalism undergrad at Kent State University in Ohio, where I'm from. And I didn't grow up from necessarily a super affluent upbringing, right? And university in the States is very, very expensive. So I got to my sophomore year and I just didn't have a way to make ends meet anymore. And I needed to find a way to pay for school. And my older sister, who's in the army, said, hey, you know, have you considered the military? And I'll be honest with you, I hadn't. Mm-hmm. I just, just wasn't the path that I saw my life taking. But she said, hey, you know, being in the army, I would tell you that you should join the Air Force. And so I looked into it. I walked into a recruiter's office, begrudgingly, I will admit. And they said, you know, we have broadcast journalism as a career. If you get the audition, we can guarantee you the job. And that obviously made my ears perk up. So I auditioned and I was lucky enough to get the part. And uh, yeah, so I actually like, paused my undergrad and oh. they shipped me off. Yeah, uh, they shipped me to a school called DINFOS, Defense Information School in Maryland, to do four months of broadcast training, where I still tell people to this day, I learned more about video work in those four months than I did in my entire undergrad, because it's just so intensive. And yeah. you, if, you do not, if you do not make it in the sound booth, and you do not write the proper stories, and you do not have the proper diction, they will retrain you, and you've already signed the dotted line for six years, so you could go end up flipping burgers on a ship somewhere if you don't make it work. So you're going to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to become a good broadcaster because you don't want that to happen. So, yeah, and then they shipped me to Guam, which is my first assignment. Hmm. And I worked for a public affairs agency. But what was nice about that is Guam just had a very unique mission in the Air Force because they kind of oversee all of those Southern Pacific and Asian missions. So I was basically 21 years old, and I was a broadcaster for the Air Force in Guam. They would ship me to Saipan. They would ship me to all sorts of different islands around there. And I would do stories like travel shows on indigenous populations and more like B2 bombers that were coming and sort of doing tours in Asia. While I was there, I finished my undergrad at Kent. Hmm. And then they sent me to Korea, where I think that's where I grew most as a visual storyteller, which I could talk about maybe later on in this this interview. But I started my master's at Syracuse then while I was there as well in journalism. And yeah, yeah that, I guess this all kind of caps out to me going to Belgium, which was my last Air Force assignment. And through the ranks, I had basically gone from the, I guess you would call it remote, you know, remote, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. I, I basically was the spot reporter, right? Where they would just send on location to overseeing a yeah. new station in Belgium. And I finally decided that that was great, but it was time to get out. And I always knew that I wanted to not stay in the Air Force forever, but it was a means to an end. And that was actually an amazing experience. 
I, w- I worked with amazing people, people who I would still say to this day are talented, more talented than me in many ways. Yeah. Uh, but it gave me the experience, right? I think for a lot of people who work in video, we all understand that this is a portfolio-driven business, right? And you can have the education, but can you make the product? And this was such a productive, down and dirty way to get myself into it, right? Like I had to go out on location. I had to go with these troops to report on what they were doing. And the interesting thing about being in military broadcasting is it's not just one part of the video process, right? Like we've all worked with video professionals who are editors or directors. When you work in military broadcasting, you have to find the story, write the story, film the story, write all the interviews, conduct all the interviews, do all the editing and all the video marketing. Yeah. You do all of it. And wow. That proved very. That just proved very beneficial for when I got out of the military and doing what I'm doing now. So, and so that's that brings me to a question I had. I was going to save for later, but you you kind of brought it up, and you you obviously enjoy being a student and learning, and so a degree in PR and advertising, and then two masters, right? So, am I am I right about that? Is that two masters? Yeah, yeah, that's that's Um, true. Yeah, and so I can see that you're you, well, I'm, I'm assuming that you enjoy learning. Otherwise, why would you put yourself through that? But so I, you, you clearly enjoy the learning side of it. And it sounds really like the military gave you the opportunity to almost compress years worth of experience into a very short, small window. What, what's you been, what's been your approach of taking that, say the more formal education and parlaying that into the actual doing of the work. And obviously, you know, as you mentioned before, that you got a lot of experience in a shorter amount of time than most people necessarily would. Uh, how do you translate the, the classroom into the practical? Like, what's your philosophy on that? Well, so first off, that's a fantastic question. But I think the biggest benefit for making the connection between all the educational experience and the actual hands-on production work is really the main driver for what makes good video when you're actually out in the world working for major companies and in my case tech companies and that is how do you translate the ideas of people who are in major professional industries sometimes you know public ipo majorly traded companies take their ideas that they want to inspire but they don't know how to turn into video and actually turn that into a riveting production i would say that's probably what the main takeaway was because in a lot of these courses You know, when you do education in journalism or my second degree, my second master's was integrated marketing communications, video is a very small portion of that, right? That might only be 10 to 20% of the curriculum. The rest Mm -hmm. is anything from uh, demand generation to any like Photoshop and making graphics or Hmm. how to, you know, like any single part of marketing that could be involved there. And a lot of those people, they don't have the background that you have. So you're working with them on this multitude of product projects and you're learning how to speak their language, I think that's probably the biggest benefit that I got because it helps me take my very hands-on, I know what I'm doing, I know how to get things done from a video side perspective and turn it into a, how can I speak the language? How can I help the people who I'm working for figure out what they want in a video? Because especially, I think that one of the main things that we can do as video professionals in this ever-changing landscape of consistent content for major companies that all want to do similar things and always have new content to meet the times is basically your translator, right? I mean, that's hmm. your job is to take the ideas of all of these clients that want consistently riveting, emotionally appealing content that reflects the times and turn it into the language 
an infinitely possible video, right? They come to you because they just don't know how often how to make their ideas blossom. And I think what makes us great video professionals is when you can take somebody's idea for a product or a campaign or whatever it may be, and you can inspire them with their own idea. Mm -hmm. That's the benefit of learning how to speak the language of other folks who might not be video professionals. When you show them their idea back to them, and they feel inspired in ways that they didn't even expect when they ideated it, that's when you know that you've become that good video translator. I think that's a really, I'm going to write that down, video translator. I think that's a really good point. A sort of curveball question here, but uh, would you ever become a teacher yourself? I thought about it because at a certain point, I mean, you know, I've considered going and getting a PhD, but again, as we know in video, there's not really many video-based PhDs out there. I've considered <laughs> maybe doing like media studies or more importantly, something personally important to me would be like media literacy. Hmm. So maybe someday, but I don't know. This is just too much fun. I, I'm going to do this until my joints start to hurt. So. <laughs> I know. I'm glad to hear it. Kind of going back to the education thing, I, I'm interested to hear your take on like, so you mentioned that university can be expensive at the onset. So if you were to talk to someone that is interested in getting into video, but maybe can't afford to go to school for it, or maybe doesn't have the time for it and wants to compress that learning down, where would you send them to go absorb as much as they can right now about, say, the art of storytelling and the art of maybe translating those ideas into video? And then second part of that question is, how would you help them or how would you suggest that they, they get that practice? So where would they go to learn it and what would they, how would they apply it? Right. Well, the first one, the first answer that I have for where do they go to learn it? I have a few answers to that. The first one is going to be a little bit cliche, but even still doing this professionally and running a video marketing department for a major company, I still learn things on YouTube all the time. Like, <laughs> but YouTube is where we get answers. Just yeah. today, I was trying to help a colleague figure out how to transition a motion graphic into an SVG to turn it to a banner on a web page, which is not something that is necessarily in a video producer's repertoire, but I had to look it up on YouTube, how to take an After Effects file and transition it into an SVG and install the plugins. And like, that's something that you're never going to stop doing because at the end of the day, video programs are incredibly diverse and they're always changing. So you're never going to know how to implement every single thing that has to happen. You always have to keep learning. You never just reach a point in your career where you're like, I'm done <laughs> learning now because the moment that you stop learning is the moment that you become irrelevant. You have to continue to evolve. And uh, so I'll sure, I'm sure when I'm 50, I'll still be watching YouTube videos if YouTube is, you know, still the same as it is now. And we're going, okay, so that'd be the first place I would tell them to go. The second place I would tell them to go would be the book that I would say changed my life, I guess, as far as video broadcasting is concerned. It was a book that a teacher gave me once, and it was called Aim for the Heart. I'll be honest with you, I can't think of the name of the author off the top of my head right now. But if you look at Aim for the Heart, it is a broadcast storytelling book. And the lesson in there to me was, I, I still remember the week that I read it, because no story that I've ever told has been the same since. Wow. So I'd recommend to everybody reading that. And what was interesting, speaking of teaching, is the reason that this came up is because an exercise that this teacher had us do. So when I alluded to the fact that I was in Korea, and that's where I started to develop more storytelling techniques... It was because the military had this very interesting training. And if I ever did become a teacher in production or video storytelling, I would do the same project. And I would recommend doing this to anybody who wants to develop their skills as a storyteller. 
they basically said, hey, students, there was maybe 10 people in our class. We've gone ahead and we have, they, we spent, well, we spent a week, you know, learning how to develop just proper techniques and how to find stories and how to just kind of peel back layers. And then at the end of that, they said, we've contacted multiple people on this base in Osan, Korea. And we've asked them if we can do a story on them. You don't know these people. You know nothing about them. Here's what we think there is a potential story of, but you're not allowed to come back with that story. Ooh. So pick this person out of the hat. And so we, me and a partner picked a name out of a hat. And we got this young airman whose name I won't say for privacy reasons and for privacy reasons. And she basically, her, her story that they found was she was, she was the winner of the airman of the quarter for the whole base. Now, Osan is a very large base. There's thousands of people on that base. I'll be honest with you. I never came close to becoming airman of the quarter for a base. It's actually really hard to do. Uh, it's like being employee of the month for thousands of people. And so we're like, well, that's, you would think that that would be a story, right? So most people who are just starting out in video broadcasts would think, oh, this person got the best airman of the quarter. That's a story. That's not really a story. That's just a fact, right? It's how did she get there? What motivates her? What makes her tick? And so we contacted her and we said, hey, do you mind if we just kind of talk to you a little bit? We're part of this broadcast exercise. She was like, yeah, sure. That's fine. And after actually getting to sit down and get to know her, it turns out that there was a lot more to her getting that award than that the eye. What had really ended up happening is that we had to earn her trust. And she had told us that she was going through an incredibly dark period in her personal life. She had a miscarriage. It was, her first, it was going to be her first child. And it threw her into an incredibly large depression that almost took her to points where she was going to get kicked out of the military because she just couldn't like take care of herself yeah. and maintain her job anymore. And she sought help and somebody introduced her to meditation, which brought her a certain level of centeredness that kind of just brought her back to normality and helped her cope with her loss. And it actually helped so much that it brought her to where she was excelling far beyond her peers. It was just like she was in the darkest point of her life to finding that thing that just brought her back to a whole human again and then just overcoming that struggle and then excelling. And if you read that headline, it would just be like, oh, person gets airman of the quarter. But it's so much more than that, right? It's how can you find that it's that aim, it's called aim for the heart, right? That's the idea. Like, this is not just a story. There's so much more to this. How does this actually appeal to any human who reads it? And how can I relate it to the wider audience? Because I guess if I was telling people how to find stories, they're just starting out. It's always about how can you make your audience feel? Because you can show anybody in the world, any story, they're not going to remember the story. They're going to remember how it makes them feel. Yeah, too true. That's why people listen to sad songs. (laughs) It's not like you always remember the lyrics, but you go back to listen to artists like Death Cab for Cutie because you love how it makes you feel. It's emotionally resonant, right? And if you can make, evoke that feeling in your audience and they're going to come back to your content. So that, that's, that story is, I mean, speaking of aiming for the heart, yeah, like I'm quasi emotional about that right now. And, and, so I'm really interested to dig into that. I, I just had a quick look and it's Al Tompkins is the author of Aim for the Heart. And so that's definitely on my reading list now. Could you walk me through, like, so you mentioned that you you've, you have to build trust with people when you're looking for those stories. And what's your, what's your approach or what's your mindset going into this when you're, that, that assignment I think is, is fascinating in that, like, here's the obvious story that's not allowed. What, what else can you bring me? I almost feel like we should all be doing that every day anyway, right? Like the, the things that become obvious, 
set those aside and dig a little bit deeper. So what's your mindset? How do you approach that? And how do you go about, you know, un, un, let's say, you know, peeling back the layers of the onion? Right. Well, the first thing I would say is that what you should always aim to do with the videos that you're creating is to inspire your viewer, right? And so let's just use that example that I just mentioned as an example for this. When you come to somebody and you want to tell their story, you don't just come out of the gate and say, hey, can you, I know you told me that there's a fact about you, but can you tell me more emotionally resonating ways to share <laughs> that information? Because that just seems, that's completely disingenuous. And that's not how you want to be portrayed anyways, nor is it how you want to portray them. You do not want to make it sound like you're taking advantage of somebody. But at the end of the day, if you actually are just completely honest with them and you say, hey, you have a very interesting story and it might be able to impact more people in a positive way, just based on the facts of your story, we can probably make it resonate with more people if we share some of the more personal information about this. You do, obviously you do not have to say yes to this, but if you would like to, you also could be helping people because at the end of the day, I'd like to think that a story like the, that one I told you, or a there's a few different examples like that I can tell you about, but I would like to think that there were people who maybe were having personal struggles who saw that and resonated with it. And maybe, maybe they learned how to meditate. Maybe they just sought help, but you put yourself in the position of this young airman I told you about. She wouldn't have told us that story if she didn't find value in helping herself and helping others, right? Like mm -hmm. you have to believe in the good in people. And so I guess that's the piece of advice I would say is, don't get too eager. You know, it's not always just about getting to the end. Like, Oh my gosh, I need to find where this story can be completely emotive and just make people cry. It's not about that because if you slow down and you actually get to know the person that you're doing a story on, not only are you going to come off as a more genuine, respectable journalist, but you're also probably going to find more details that you wouldn't have found if you were just trying to speed through this and get a story produced faster. Yeah. Right. And it's more about quantity over quality anyways. Hmm. Yeah. Translating that quality, into me, quality over quantity. Oh, sorry. Quality yeah, I missed that. I, I, I knew what you meant, but yeah, good to clarify. <laughs> Translating that into what you're doing now, right? It's like, so like that, that's a very journalistic approach. You know, you're trying to tell stories now with say digital ocean. How do you apply that same, that aim for the heart? We'll call it a framework, but the, the idea there to, to business, which on its face is inherently just a bit more, I don't know, cut and dry, right? A bit more boring. It's not as emotional on its face. So how do you take that aim for the heart idea and apply that to what you do now for DigitalOcean? Right. Well, I think the first thing that you have to do with your, especially in my particular case for working for a company to represent our brand is you have to understand what your brand is, who your brand is, and who your brand resonates with. I mean, because, and even if it's a client, if you're working with a client's brand, you can't just pretend to be the voice of their brand if you don't understand what their voice is, right? It could come off, like, again, it could come off disingenuous. It could come off awkward. You have to put yourself in the shoes of every single person's story that you're trying to tell. And if you, if you think about it, it's really kind of the exact same journalistic ideologies from the examples that we were talking about with Aim for the Heart. You have to basically take yourself out of it and try to find where the value is from the person projecting the message. You are a mouthpiece. You are a translator. Hmm. In the case of DigitalOcean, 
our brand is actually really unique. And I didn't actually know this when I started working for this company, but DigitalOcean's brand is very, very community-based. We're a brand of the web developers and our particular brand, our competitors are like AWS. We have some very large competitors out there in the space, but our brand is known as the web development cloud service that will meet the customer where they are. We have free tutorials out there. We have very highly rated customer service. We have a fun little mascot named Sammy that people just love. It's a shark, <laughs> digital ocean. <laughs> uh, but the point is like, because we're so community-based, I think that our brand is inherently inspiring. And I've told a lot of people this that have started the company after me is that you don't have to fake the inspiration with a company like DigitalOcean because we truly do. Like our, we have one of our tenets is that our community is bigger than just us. And that actually is emblematic in all the work that we do. We would not be putting out all these free tutorials for people to just learn web development if we didn't care about the community. We're not asking for any money. Yeah. You know, we just want to build brand awareness and help people learn. So I think that's, that's kind of a, for, so yeah, so, so to the first point, you just have to understand whose story you're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. Now, with that being said, what are you trying to say? So I, I'm relating this to, because I wanted to lay the foundation of who did solution as a company, because, you know, in the spring, obviously we all experienced COVID. I think a good example of how you can apply the tenets of whose story you're trying to tell to the actual content that you're creating would be an example like COVID. COVID came around and obviously in mid-March, it was peaking in the United States as far as hysteria is concerned and we're all very worried and nobody knew what was going on and everybody in the world was just very nervous, right? And there was a lot of uncertainty in the world and obviously it was warranted, but we also did not necessarily know what was going on, but we knew that our community was tied very tightly to us. We wanted to just say something. We wanted to just get our brand out there just to let people know that we've always stood by our community. We've always supported our community, which is why we've always done what we've done. And that is not going to change now with the pandemic. So I would say it was late March. We just got together as a team and a few of us were just like, look, we just need to put out something, just letting people know that we can make a difference. And we actually put out this video called let's get building. And it was, I guess in retrospect, maybe to some degree it was cliche, but it was a good video. It was cool because we actually had people working on development and it was just a brand statement from the company. Just like, we get it. It's confusing. It's nerve wracking right now. We're nervous too, but we've always built the future together. And that's not going to change now because we can build things together in web development that will make an impact for people's lives. So let's just get building, right? Like let's get forward yeah. together. And it landed very well because it was genuine, right? There was no, there, there was not any pitch there. There was not any product we were slapping in somebody's face. There was a, there was a logo for our brand, but that was just a statement, mm -hmm. right? Just to meet our customers where they are. And that's, that's just something I feel like it's just a genuine, it, I, I would see that I think to the, myself as the customer, I would see that and think, cool, you know what? At least DigitalOcean gets it. Yeah. You know, they're not shoving a product down my throat at this incredibly stressful time. They're just meeting me where I am. That's cool. I appreciate that. But yeah, another thing that we're working on is called Hub for Good mm -hmm. in relation to COVID. Our company actually came out with this initiative where you could apply for credits on DigitalOcean because, again, you basically build websites on DigitalOcean. You build, you build apps and you build products on DigitalOcean. And 
we were giving away credits to companies who could apply if they were using those credits to start a business or a website or what have you, if it was good for COVID, it was helpful for COVID. And we got thousands of applications. And a lot of them were things you'd expect, like medical, you know, or anything that has to do with like anything that a lot of things have to do with medical. And I was reading through some of the applications and my copywriter and I were thinking like, what other industries are affected by this, right? Where, how can we place ourselves in the untold story of people who are affected by COVID? And we had a lot of applications actually from the creative industries. We had people like musicians and stand-up comedians and all sorts. And so we actually put out a video camp, two video campaigns, uh, one on a company called Garden Collective in Portugal and one on a company called Digital Stage in Munich. And these people basically recognized that the artists that they were hiring were losing their money. They couldn't pay for food or rent or what have you. And they were using DigitalOcean to build new social medias to share and monetize digital performances in ways that they'd never tried before. Hmm. And these would be things like you would put on a VR headset and you could look around and see multiple people in an orchestra playing their instruments at live at the same time and super low latency and hear it all. And you, you could hear like wow. the meshing of the music together in a room hmm. as if you were actually in an orchestra. It was very, very innovative stuff. And so we decided like, there's a story there. Let's tell the stories of how these people are just trying to inspire and help others. And so anyway, that was a very long tangent, but the whole point being that there's always going to be a bit of a, there's always going to be some heart in an initiative that people are trying to launch. And you just need to basically find out how others are trying to help each other and tell the story from there. You wouldn't want to tell something like, hi, we're DigitalOcean and we want you to, you know, spin up a droplet during COVID because that's just, that doesn't feel right. But people, other people are spinning up droplets to help the world. How about you help the world too? Because yeah. we're going to help you do it. We're going to give you a credit to do it. Like we're doing this for free. We're doing this because we want to help too. Help us help you help the world, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I think healthy businesses, I mean, this is probably just, this is a, an opinion of mine anyway, that healthy businesses are there to help, right? And that's, I think the health of a business is reflected back to them by the state of their customers and how well their customers are doing. So yeah, kudos for finding those stories. I think that also just speaks to me in the way that, you know, making your customers as a business, making your customers the hero goes so much further than talking product, talk, talking features, talking prices, which at some point you have to do. But when you're telling the stories, I think that that resonates a lot more with people and really lets them identify and see themselves in what you offer. Right. So that's, that's really cool. I'm fascinated by sitting in a VR orchestra. So that's, I'm picking up a whole lot of things. I, I need to go read aim for the heart. I need to go check out these apps <laughs> and, and spend more, a bit more time, maybe listening to an orchestra while I read the book. So hub for good, that was called. I want to make sure that we link to that just to see if uh, uh, we can get people hub, to go. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah, it's called Hub for Good, uh, cool. the initiative. And yeah, it's very cool. And there, there have been thousands of applications. I don't just want to say that we would only focus on, you know, Garden Collective or Digital States. There have oh, been yeah. countless, countless, countless ideas on there. But we just had to make a choice from, you know, the video storytelling perspective, which ones we wanted to share. Oh, no doubt. Which actually, 
leads to interesting, right? Because uh, right now it leads to an interesting uh, challenge as far as how are you going to find content remotely? Mm. And that was an easier option because they were creators and they had bad footage. So that's a whole other <laughs> challenge though during COVID times. That is. And well, on the subject, how are you handling that right now? I mean, what, what does your production process look like during COVID while we're keeping our distance and it, it just makes things a lot more challenging. So what's, what is that? What's the new reality for you right now? Yeah. Well, as far as elevating video content during COVID, uh, we all have to get used to being directors, right? I mean, we're all mm. probably very somewhat used to being directors to some degree as far as productions are concerned, but being remote directors takes a little bit of patience, right? Because if you're actually on a set and you can tell the camera guy to change the angle or adjust the backdrop, you're basically putting you're putting the action into the hands of the person who you're filming remotely. And nine times out of 10, they're not a video professional, right? So you got to work with them and be patient. But ways that we're addressing that would be that. Like I've, we have established some regular like protocols for how to elevate your video content, like such as proper framing and lower thirds and recommended webcams that you could order if they're not all sold out because they're very <laughs> often sold out right now because everybody says, in the world yeah. wants one. And just, you know, formats to save things by just general simple guidelines that folks could follow if they're not a video professional. Because if we could just get that out there and regulate it a bit within a company, you'll just find that, yes, although everything's remote, production quality is good, framing's good, yeah. they sound good, and it's just not that bad. There are other tools out there as well that kind of help the high quality recording process, and we're looking into some of those as well like taking it a step further from just the zooms to which are 1080p to maybe potentially 4k recording um, mm -hmm. devices i know a lot of my colleagues as well are doing things like sending remote kits yeah but we just have such a large customer base like anywhere from bangalore to hong kong to sao paulo that the idea of sending kits is just would be so large and so expensive and hard to track that yeah it's, it's like anything, right? Like we just, we just have to find more digital ways to make this work. Yeah. I think um, that's it. Yeah. That's a yeah. good idea. Cause yeah. Uh, just my recent experience with shipping things is that, I don't know, one out of every five packages that we've sent recently have gotten lost and, or are just taking forever to get where they're going. So yeah, I think that's, that's the sane approach to keep you, <laughs> to keep you mentally, mentally fit is so you don't have to stress over shipping and, and tracking and all that sort of stuff. What are some of the tools that you're looking at? I'm just curious to, to say, level up the video quality. One of the tools that we're looking at right now is actually called, oh, excuse me, let me, I, I, it has, I'm going to I'm like losing my train of thought. It has a reel in the name. What is it? Oh my goodness. Hold on just a second. I don't want to give you poor information here. All good. Oh, Open Reel. There we go. Open Reel is one of the tools that we've looked into. Sorry, excuse me. Open Reel is one of the tools that we've looked into. They are a service that's basically been built just for this. And while we haven't, we like this is not something that we've necessarily contributed to. That is just a tool that is in the marketplace that we have considered. Because I'm sure now with COVID and remote filming becoming all the more popular, tools like Open Reel will probably gain in popularity to become front and center. Basically what these tools are doing is they're helping you record things within their cloud. So you don't have to necessarily always rely on the strength of two different people's internet connections, which yeah. really degrade yeah. the quality of the video, you know? 
And it's interesting because tools like this actually give you a lot more control as a director. So you can actually control someone's depth of field of their webcam. You can change uh. their framing. You can have different people watch the recording that you're doing and give you notes as the director if they need something changed up. You can actually stream a, a teleprompter on your screen for the viewer to see. Huh. So it's just like, it's, it's, it's rebuilding a production set digitally. And I'm sure there are probably other companies out there who are doing similar things, but as we don't have a vaccine yet, and we don't know how long this is going to last, you know, you have to adapt and find ways to make it work. And that's one company that we've looked at that is just has a very unique product. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That looks, yeah. it looks really interesting. I, I was looking at one that's kind of similar. It's called welder. I think it's a very new, very, <laughs> it might even be in beta still, but similar kind of <laughs> trying to, yeah. How do you leverage people's machines without like, so recording natively or locally and then sending the HD up to a sort of, I guess, welders approaches that then they weld it together for you. But right. yeah, it's all, it's all fascinating to see what people are coming up with. Yeah, It seems like right now, like live streaming is really where most people's heads are at. I would say that the the request for live stream content has skyrocketed yeah. since COVID started. Um, at least. I noticed that yeah, so DigitalOcean's doing a fair bit of that. I know you've got you've got a, a production schedule going out at least through the end of this month, if not if not further, for the live stuff. Are you involved with that? Like are you sort of you're directing that live or is that someone else's job? So we actually, so we do things called TED Talks at DigitalOcean and there, that's a lot of our educational content. We'll bring on other professionals in the development community or a team of our developers within the, within the company who are also actually pretty widely respected in the industry. And they will stream some content themselves. We are also doing things that are larger than just that. And we actually have, this is for anybody who's listening right now who knows about building production sets. We're doing something right now, which is probably the most ambitious production that I have ever worked on and the contractors that I'm hiring to help me with it. And it's called Deploy. We, it is, we usually do in-person conferences for mm -hmm. DigitalOcean, right? Yep. Because that's just the way the world used to work. And we've had to take conferences and put them online, just like everything else. And we have, we have a 24-hour conference that is coming up on November 10th, 24 straight hours. Ooh. And we wanted to find a way to make it as risk-averse as possible. So instead of and because the speakers are from all over the world, like I said, and so we basically decided that we were going to pre-produce 24 hours of straight content and stream it out that way. Okay. So, <laughs> so we have 20, we've been working for months on this, 24 hours of pre-produced content, 50 wow. minute keynotes, 25 minute talks, breaks, music, music videos, all of it, all original content, 24 hours, streamed live though. That's what's interesting about it is that we're pre-producing it, but we're still using platforms to stream it live and yeah. it's it's just it's just it's, it's just a different world right and it's kind of one of those things where you can never stop adapting in our career field yeah in today's day and age if you want to succeed in video you have to be a unicorn you have to be a jack of all trades right you can't just know how to film you can't just know how to edit you can't just know how to storytell you need to know how to edit video potentially do graphics and after effects you need to know how to live stream now you need to know how to market your material on social media and have a, you have to have a hand in everything, right? And this is something that has been a learning experience for me. Because again, if there's people listening to this podcast who think that maybe one day, you know, they're going to reach this, <laughs> this, this mountaintop and just all the information is going to be within their head. I think you and I both know that that's just not the case because there's going to be unique asks and unique technology that you need to adapt to. Right. And this is one of those things, whereas I've live streamed before, I've never had to live stream for 24 straight hours with multiple channels in a single stream doing multiple different things at once 
and it's you adapt and you overcome, but you can never stop learning, you know? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a big takeaway. And I, I suppose, so I, I have to ask, are you, are you on for 24 straight hours yourself or do you have teammates that are, are you going to go in shifts <laughs> or is it just a lot, a lot uh, of coffee? That, <laughs> well, luckily I'm not the only one who's going to be on. We've actually kind of, we've kind of adjusted this a few different times as far as how we're going to man this. At first I thought it was going to be me and one other person doing the two 12 hour shifts would have just taken me back to the military days. But no, that's not what we're going to do. We're actually going, we, we just decided that this is, this is huge, right? We put a lot of time and money into this and you're, how do I say this? Like you're never going to have all the tools in your tool belt. It's very important to know when to seek help. And this was just one of those times, right? I can create a lot of video content for our company and strategize our campaigns, but I am not a, an expert at streaming 48 hours of content in a 24 hour period through multiple channels. It's just not something that we're trained to do in broadcast school, yeah. right? Like, so I, I sought out a company called BeLive in Brooklyn who is helping and they're actually bringing out some of their folks to help do the switchboards, make sure the lights stay on, queue up live links in the stream. And it's just like, no, like know, know how to, know how to, keep the ship moving forward and know the fundamentals, but there are definitely going to be things in video production that you just don't know all the details to because five years ago, live streaming wasn't what it is now, right? Like this company that I'm working with probably has technology that I've never seen before. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to rely on that. I'm probably going to rely on them just to, just as a complete safety measure. Also, they have a lot more faculty or excuse me, not faculty. They have a lot more staff members than I do. So, you know, they can do three, eight hour shifts and I don't have to step for 24 straight hours. So that's good. Right. (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't worried for you, but I thought, man, that's going to be, I hope you get a week off after that. So <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a lot to unpack in that. And I, but I want, there's one thing that you mentioned in the, the pre-interview that I want to make sure that we touch on before we, before we go too long here. And that is kind of going back to the storytelling part of it. And you said, when searching for a story, don't look up, look down. And I think you kind of touched on this with the story earlier from the the Air Force officer that won the basically the employee of the month at the base. Can you walk me through what you mean by don't look up, don't uh, sorry, don't look up, look down, and where to find the stories there? Absolutely. I mean, I would hate to contextualize everything in a military term, but it really has been an incredibly incredible learning experience as far as seeking stories. And I think a lot of the lessons that I learned there have translated into the civilian quote-unquote world Mm -hmm. very well and this is one of those things uh it's something that i was taught a long time ago when i was probably 21 or 22 looking for interviews because you would get sent on these missions to tell a story and you didn't necessarily always go there knowing who you were going to interview right you had to find the interviewee excuse me and one of the best lessons that i had ever learned was exactly you said don't look up look down a lot of people who are maybe new to video production would go to Let's just say, I mean, we'll use the military example, right? You go to a mission and a lot of people think, oh, there's a general. I want to tell the, I want to get an interview with the general, right? People want to see the general. And what's the general going to tell you? The general is going to tell you a PR response. It's very calculated. They probably practiced it with their corporate comms or PR rep. And it's going to give you some information, but it's not going to be telling. And it's definitely not going to be captivating. But if you go over to that guy on the flight line during the same mission who is working his butt off, sweating, covered in oil or something, 
they're going to have some real sound bites for you. They're the ones mm-hmm. who are on the ground doing the work. They're the ones, or you think about it like a military mission, you know, if you're like downrange, right? If you go and talk to that general downrange in the Middle East or something, like they're going to give you a very canned response. But if you talk to the person who actually is out there doing the missions with the gun in their hand, you're going to get a real representation of what it's actually like. And you have to ask yourself as a storyteller, which one do you really want? Yeah. You know, do you just want your colleagues to say, oh, you got an interview with the general, pat on the back, or do you want them to be captivated and emotionally resonant? Because it's always the people who are down doing the work who have the most enriched perspectives. At a certain point when you get so high up, you don't always have the liberty of giving your honest opinion because there's a lot more people's interests at stake. Yeah. So if you want to tell a really compelling story that portrays the world as it really is, you look down for your sound bites, you don't look up. Hmm. I think so to what that kind of said to me and how I, how I translated that. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong here is into the business world is it's almost like, so if, if you want to go and let's say interview the CEO versus we'll keep this in, in marketing, right? So you're going to go, let's say you're going to, you want to interview the CMO or you can interview the, the, the 25 year old that's in charge of social media. And what are you going to learn the most from? And of course the CMO has a lot to teach, but when was the last time that he opened up say Facebook and went into the ads manager? Whereas this, you know, the, the young guy that just came out of college is doing this every day. He's in it. If you were to ask the CMO, how do I build an ad in Facebook? He'd probably look at you like, well, I ask, <laughs> I go down the hall. <laughs> I'm, literally la- I'm literally laughing at the idea of it. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, so like, I feel like that's the, that's how I'm translating that into say, if, if there's a business owner, it's like, and you, you want to tell stories from within the business or of your customers, I, I would, that's what it said to right. me is don't necessarily go to the top. Yeah. You got to go to the people that are a, using the tools that you, you provide and that are doing the work, as you said, getting their hands dirty and in the mix every day. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's a time and a place, right? Like, and there's nothing wrong with getting sound bites from a CEO if that's what you're looking for, or maybe you need to establish your brand or it's a product release or something where that's the most appropriate option to go with. But if you're really trying to tell stories, like if you're, if you're telling stories, you're not going for the corporate can response because that's just not a story. It's more of just facts. Hmm. So if you're telling stories, you go to the people that do the work. You're absolutely right. And that, that, that transcends any, that that's, that transcends any industry. Yeah. It doesn't have to be military, it doesn't have to be marketing. You could be working for literally anyone. You could be working at a zoo. It would be no different. Totally. That's a bit of a, no, that, <laughs> I was going to take the zoo thing <laughs> to places that I probably shouldn't, but <laughs> shoveling. Yes. Is uh, there, is there anything that you, you wanted to touch on while we're still going? I think the only thing that I felt like saying, because we kind of touched a little bit on this in the interview of just how a lot of the lessons that I've learned over my personal experience I've translated into the marketing world where a lot of us are heading now mm-hmm. would be two things. The first one is that the one thing that I would just say is that I think people in the video industry right now have a unique opportunity. I've tried to tell a lot of my colleagues this. We are at a unique crossroads in the video industry where it's not just t- traditional broadcasting anymore and it's not just traditional editing houses anymore companies are starting to realize the value of having video in their repertoire. And a lot of companies, large companies are investing in people like us who know video skills to know their brand and speak their brand for them through video. Video work is very expensive. (laughs) So they're finding it a lot more conducive to hire video professionals 
to bring them on board and become marketing professionals. So I would always suggest to people right now that if you're getting into the video industry or maybe you're looking for a change, do look for companies who are looking for this because full disclosure, they're paying very well because they're usually like startup companies or tech companies and they're, they want to tell unique stories, which is the second point is they have a lot to prove. So they have stories to tell, mm. right? And you have to develop your skills at companies like this because the asks are those of colleagues who are not video professionals. So you have to adapt. So it's, it's like forcing yourself to get better at your job. So that would be one piece of advice I would say for people who are looking for a career update in video. Yeah. The second thing I just want to say real quick is <clears throat> just to, for listeners not to lose track of why they got into video work in the first place. Sometimes I too have been working for companies or in the military and just thinking to myself, I just want to get this project done or I'm hearing yeah. somebody's idea for a video and I'm not quite seeing how it could turn into a compelling piece of work. But at the end of the day, you have to just ask yourself, why did I get into video? You, most of us have gotten into video because we like to tell stories yeah. or because we want other people to feel something by the content that we create. So if you slow down and remind yourself of why you got into this in the first place, and you create content based on that mentality, the product that comes out of it will always be more rewarding for you and your audience than something that you just tried to ship. I, yeah, that resonates a lot with me. I feel like that's true for just about anything, isn't it? Where if, if you, you just take a moment, take some pause and almost regroup and then get back into it. How do you kind of, how do you handle that when say you've got a deadline and the pressure is on to produce something does that come up for you at all where you've got you, you, the expectation is that you're going to have something out say on Friday and it's Wednesday and you probably don't have as much time as you feel like you need. So what's the approach there? Well, so in the marketing world, at least with, within the company that I've companies that I've worked at recently and regarding deadlines. So if it comes to storytelling, I still wouldn't rush it. I would actually, honestly, I would push back. It would okay. be, we're paying money for this. We're investing time in this. What good is it going to be? If This is just like, this is an overarching theme of, I think, a lot of the video work that all of us need to apply to our lives, which is what is the point of spending the money for video, which is very expensive, if nobody's going to watch it? Mm. If we, like, you would rather have one compelling piece of video that you know is going to hit deeply with your audience as opposed to just putting out five videos that you can say you put out five videos for because now all of a sudden our social feed has five videos on it, but who cares if nobody presses the play button? You know, like that's, it's just, it's, yep. it's it, you, you make that case. I mean, obviously it's not always that idealistic. Sometimes you do just have to get video out, but if, if it comes down to that, if you're just trying to get video out the door, I would say most of the time, the understanding is that it's not, it's not going to be that emotionally resonant anyways, because it's probably something more technical, hmm. but I would always say that if, if, if you're ever getting a request, to tell a customer story or a human story and it, they want you to get it out fast. I think we all as humans know that it takes time for us to peel back those layers. And I would come back and say to them, whether it was me or whether it was you, the listener, think about that request. Because if you're the person on the receiving end of that request and you want somebody's coming to you to tell their story and they're basically yelling at you or barking at you to tell it faster, you're not going to be compelled to share it. Yeah. So you need to just slow it down and meet them where they are. And if it means that that video comes out a few days later, that's okay. If it means that they don't get five videos and they get one video, that's okay. Because that one video is going to be something that your whole company is proud of. 
Hmm. And uh, if you have investors, they don't want to see you just putting out crap. So, <laughs> yeah, too true. No, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, it's it goes back to the the quality over quantity thing, doesn't it? Adam, thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, man. I had fun. Hey. Where should everyone go to check out both the work that you're doing for DigitalOcean, and do you have any personal projects that you'd like people to to have a look at? Yeah, absolutely. So, if you want to check out DigitalOcean's content that we release practically daily. You could obviously do so at our YouTube page, which is just DigitalOcean. Mm-hmm. We're also going to be launching a Twitch channel soon, which is another new platform that we'll be forging ahead with in the late fall that I'll be overseeing. That's going to be DigitalOcean official with no spaces. Mm-hmm. And just personally, if you ever want to reach out and just talk more about video, it's honestly a huge passion of mine. And my portfolio is a harder media, but I'll be honest with you, it's been a minute, it's been a minute since I've updated it because I've been on this, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have a job for a while. So I, I do these updates in my portfolio, but if anybody ever wants to reach out, please, 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 please do. My email is uh, adamharder9 at gmail.com. And I love this work. So I think that people who do video truly can make a difference in others' lives. And so if anybody ever wants to chat more about that, tell us the door. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you like this content and want to learn more about how to leverage video for your business, for yourself, please head over to dearvideo.com, sign up to receive our video marketing playbooks where we go deep into the strategies, the tactics, the processes, and even the tools that you can use to make the right video at the right time so that you can grow your business and connect with your audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Give Dear Video a rating. We'd love to hear from you, and the feedback is always important to us. Thanks so much for listening. Go make some awesome video. And until next time, see ya.